0: along to our perspective, and we want to allow you the same opportunity. Um, I, I want to tell you right off the bat this morning, here's what I hope as a result of today. You see, very honestly, many of us have grown up in church or around church. We've grown up in or around, maybe you at least visited with a grandparent. We have grown up in this church culture, and we have heard this Christmas story Year after year after year after year. And many of us at some point as a child or a teenager, at some point we believed it. And I don't mean we just believed that it was true. We believed it to the point where we submitted to the one that this whole thing is about. We submitted everything about us as best that we could tell of what we knew about ourselves. We submitted that to Jesus. And then life happened. Then life just happened. And at times we were hurt. At times we got busy. At times it seems that we got up off of our knees and we began to live our lives apart from God. And here's what my hope is today. My hope is That this morning at some point that you will get back in touch with that faith of your childhood. And that you will take a step toward Jesus. That's my hope. I want to let you know that right off the bat. Now there's a very important name that we run across in this Christmas narrative. The name is uh, this very important figure. The name of King Herod. Now King Herod historically was a very smart man. King Herod was a very ambitious man. Uh, He was uh, politically motivated, and he was always looking for that next political move. So who was this King Herod? Let's, Let's kind of set the stage here, the context of who this was. King Herod. So if you know the name Julius Caesar, and yes, that is the very... Man that uh, that Shakespeare wrote the play Julius Caesar about. That's who who I'm talking about for just the next moment. Very same man. Julius Caesar was the dictator of the Roman Republic government, and his second in command, almost like a vice president. No, that's nothing like that because our vice president really doesn't have any power. The second in command under Julius Caesar was a man named Mark Antony, and that happens to be the same man who had a long-lasting affair with Cleopatra. That's the same guy, just to help put this all in context. So King Herod was friends with Mark Antony, okay? So, Mark Antony, second in command, right under Julius Caesar. So, politically, Herod was in a very good place. Now, uh, Herod was a friend of Mark Antony's, not because they were buddies, but because it helped Herod politically. He was a very smart politician. So, Julius Caesar gets murdered by other members of the government, if you remember that from the Shakespeare play. True story. It happened. And that left Mark Antony now, who was second in command, in a very bad place. So Mark Antony and the nephew of Julius Caesar, who was 19 years old, the 19-year-old nephew of Julius Caesar, his name was Octavian. Julius Caesar, uh, I'm sorry, Julius Caesar murdered so Mark Antony and, his, and Julius Caesar's nephew, 19 years old, Octavian, unite forces, and they bring in one other man to help, and they go after the people who murdered Julius Caesar. All right? They catch those people, they take care of those people, and now that leaves Mark Antony and Octavian and this other guy, this third guy, as the three rulers of now Rome It doesn't take long before it just becomes Mark Antony and Octavian the other guy is booted out and so they become the two rulers of Rome So here we have Mark Antony he was second in command now he's a ruler we have the 19-year-old nephew of Julius Caesar he's a ruler alongside of Mark Antony And that puts Herod politically in a very, very good place as friends, good friends, with one of the two rulers of the Roman Empire. Now, through some political wrangling, uh, Herod convinces Mark Antony to allow him to be the governor of Galilee. Now that moves Herod over towards Israel. And he also convinces Mark Antony to allow him to be the king of the Jews in Israel. Very interesting. So now Herod makes his way to Israel. He's over Galilee. He's also the king of the Jews. Time goes by when Octavian, who was the nephew of Julius Caesar, he becomes about 30 years old. And now he decides that he wants to be the ruler of Rome. And there is a civil war between Mark Antony and Octavian, a civil war. And Herod, being the brilliant politician that he is, he aligns himself with Mark Antony because he's the older one, the wiser one, he's been around longer. He aligns himself with Mark Antony. The problem is Mark Antony loses this civil war. And Mark Antony, Anthony, instead of being uh, captured and killed by Octavian, Mark Antony and Cleopatra decide, mm, no, we're not going to do that. And they, and they commit suicide together. And so here we have Herod now with Octavian being the sole ruler of the Roman Empire. And Octavian changes his name now to... Emperor Caesar Augustus. Now you might recognize that name Caesar Augustus because it also has a place in the Christmas narrative. We'll talk about that next week. He changes his name to to Emperor Caesar Augustus. For nearly the first time in Herod's political life, Herod had made a disastrous mistake. He placed his bet on the wrong man, the now dead Mark Antony. That left Herod in a pretty horrible place. So Herod had a couple of options. Herod could run and hide. Not a great option because the Roman Empire took up most of the world. Or he could do what Mark Antony did and he could just go commit suicide. He could go kill himself. Also not a great option. So Herod did neither of those things. Instead, Herod did the unthinkable. Herod jumped on a boat and he sailed to the island of Rhodes and he asked to speak to Octavian personally. And Octavian is now the ruler of basically, of the known world. And Herod got an audience with Octavian, and here's what he told him. Herod said, When I pledge my loyalty to someone, I am loyal to them to the very end. And he said, Octavian, that is now the loyalty that I pledge to you. I will be loyal to you To the very end. And instead of Octavian having him killed. No. Octavian was impressed. With Herod's audacity. And Octavian actually sent Herod back to Israel. With even more power. And more lands to rule around Israel. Turned out great for King Herod Herod became known as King Herod the Great he was a great politician I mean Herod went and rebuilt the Jewish temple that was a great political move Harold, uh, Harold King Herod King Herod went and I don't know how many times I've called him Harold I don't know I have to go back and listen King Herod, he went and he also built one of the most uh, developed uh, and advanced ports of that time. He was great, but Herod was a cruel king, very cruel king. He made so many cruel decisions all in trying for him to secure his power, uh, trying to uh, secure his legacy as him and his line being forever the king of the Jews. That's what he wanted. That's what he tried to do. In fact, he, he tried so desperately to pick just the right heir of all of his children to go on. In order to have enough heirs to choose from, he married ten different wives. He changed his will Four different times. He murdered one wife in an effort to secure the right heir for his throne. And in trying to pick the best heir, he had three different sons murdered. In fact, the emperor joked at one point. He said, It's better to be a pig of Herod's than to be one of his sons. Herod was ruthless. He was ruthless. He had almost anyone who would oppose him or speak against him, he would have them killed. Didn't matter if they were a rabbi, he would have them killed. Many of them he did. It didn't matter if they were a priest, he would have them killed. Many of them he did. No one wanted to be around Herod or in his court really for any reason because they knew knew your life, you were taking it in your own hands if you stepped in there. That is this Herod, that now shows up in this Christmas narrative. He shows up at this birth story of Jesus. And now Herod, by this time, is about 70 years old, and he's suffering from uh, some kind of major kidney disease or some kind of cancer. He was very, very sick at this time. He was in a great deal of pain. And yet he was still, at 70 years old, struggling to secure his legacy among the Israelites. He wanted his line to be king of the Jews forever. And then Herod gets the news that just five miles south of King Herod, there is a new king learning to walk. We read about this in Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. Was disturbed when in Jerusalem, because here's why: if King Herod was disturbed, everyone knew it was dangerous for them. That's why they were disturbed. Verse four: He called a meeting of the leading priest; these are Israelites, and the teachers of religious law; these are some rabbis and scribes, Israelites. And can't you imagine, knowing that King Herod was disturbed, they were taking their lives in their hands to go stand before him, but they didn't have a choice. He called them. And he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Now, they dip back into prophecy of the Old Testament, and they tell King Herod that he is to be born in Bethlehem. And now we go into Matthew chapter 2, verse 7. Then Herod called for a private meeting with these wise men, the ones who had traveled. No, when you hear the song about three wise men,
1: doesn't
0: count. We have no idea how many wise men. We just know there were three types of wise men, and he learned could have been a dozen wise men. We have no idea. We don't know how many. But he called a meeting with these wise men, and he learned from them When the first star appeared, which gives him the idea of when the child was born. That's why he needed to know that. Verse 8, then he told them, all right, fellows, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can worship him too. And after this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Again, just about five miles away. And the star they had seen guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and it stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and they worshipped Him. To Him. Doesn't say they bowed down and sang a song to Him. Now there's nothing wrong with singing as part of your worship. Nothing wrong at all. We we call it that. But we we have misguided you to make people believe that worship is singing. And that's what it is. But the reality is, worship is exactly what we see here with the wise men. Worship is not really singing. It is when you are stopped in your tracks with great awe. And worship makes you do whatever you can in that moment to surrender. Worship makes you instantly submit. And a short, five miles away, was Herod the Great. Just five miles. And the Great preserved his le- worried, doing everything that he could do to preserve his legacy, doing everything he could do to control the outcome. To control the people around him. To control his life. Their lives. Trying to protect his position in this life. So he was trying to protect and control. Protect and control. Protect and control. Herod was not interested in worshiping. Because the key word there is submit. Submit that control. To someone else. No, 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 no. He was not even considering bowing down to this king child, Jesus. Now, that's important for us to note this. Because of all the characters in the birth narrative, Mary, Joseph the angels, the shepherds, the wise men, all of the characters in this birth narrative. We are probably more like Herod than any of the other characters in this narrative. Because we get so obsessed with controlling our lives. We get so obsessed with protecting our positions, controlling everything around us and the outcomes that we are not about to bow. Now, we are usually more interested in using Jesus to help protect our current position and using Jesus to help us control the outcomes so they are favorable for us. We're more interested in that than we are in actually worshiping Jesus. In other words, we say, all right, if Jesus can get me what I want, then yes, I'll play along somewhat. But surrender? You mean, give Jesus a blank check that says, okay, here Jesus, here you go. I say yes, and you just fill in the blanks and I'll do whatever you say, but I say yes in advance. No, 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 no. I'm not interested in that. Saying yes to Jesus before we know what he wants us to do. No, 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 no. I'm not interested in that. The story goes on. Matthew chapter 2, verse 12. When it was time to leave, these are the wise men again. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And in verse 16, Herod was furious. Earlier he was just disturbed, but now he is furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. And when Herod was upset, people suffered. When Herod was furious, people died. The whole life of Herod was spent controlling outcomes. Trying to politically outsmart opponents. And this time, Herod got played. This time, Herod was the one who was outsmarted. But Herod was not going to be defeated by some little baby five miles away. Some Jewish king. No, 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 no. Here's what happened. The Bible says he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem. So he said, let's spread out a little further just to make sure. All of them who were two years old and under Based upon the wise men's report of the first, of the star's first appearance. When Herod was upset, people died. And in this case, all the little boys. You know what? Herod himself ended up dying that year. Herod was in such intense pain from his disease, that he actually tried to commit suicide, his uh, his cousin actually stopped him. from It wasn't as easy to do as it is today. His cousin actually stopped him. You know that Herod knew that he was hated by all the people around him? Even his family. I mean, he knew that he was hated. He knew that when Herod died, he knew that when he died, there would be... Not mourning, there would be celebration throughout the lands. So Herod had a plan. You know what his plan was? Here was his plan. He had the stadium, the stadium at Jericho. He had it filled with all the people in Israel who were loved, cherished, and admired. He completely filled the stadium With these people. As if they were under arrest. He packed them in. And he commanded. At the point that I die. At the moment of my death. You are to kill all of these people in the stadium. So that there will be mourning. Even though they are not mourning me. There will be mourning. The day I die. That was the plan. The stadium was packed. When Herod died, that death sentence command was never carried out. Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back To the land of Israel. Because those who were trying to kill the child. Are dead. Herod the Great. The mighty ruler of Israel. The king. His legacy was not what he had hoped. It was not what he tried to control and plan for. You know what happened to King Herod? the great, he simply became a footnote in the biography of a little baby. Herod was only five miles away from the birth of Jesus. But he missed it all. He missed it all. And then you go 80 years later, Years after Jesus had grown up, years after Jesus had performed all the miracles, years after Jesus went to the cross, years after he walked out of the tomb, other emperors had come and gone. Nero had come and gone. The temple and all of its glory had gone. Most of the disciples who were following Jesus at the time, closely, they were gone and dead. Except for John, whose book we are reading. John, the disciple of Jesus now, as a very old man, he sits down to summarize what it was like to walk with this Jesus. John, who took care of the mother of Jesus, After Jesus left this creation, John, who was able to sit down and talk to Mary and say, Mary, 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 tell me again. Mary, tell me again. What was it like to hide from Herod in Egypt? What was it like to know that back home all of the little boys two years and younger were being murdered? What was it like, Mary, to run from Herod and to hide? What was it like, To come back. John. Who would sit with Mary. And say Mary Mary tell me again. What was it like. When the angel. Spoke to you. Mary what was it like. To know that you were. Carrying God. Jesus. The Messiah. The Savior. John. Sits down now as a very old man and he wrote this in John chapter 1 verse 4. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. You see in this moment right here, John, he speaks in the past tense. That light is in the past tense. The Word gave life to everything, He said. Everything that was created. And that life brought life to everyone. Past tense. That is what happened. That's the old news. That is in the past. That is in our history. But then immediately, John jumps to the present tense. The present tense, and here's what he says in verse 5. The light shines, shines right now at this moment, this very instant. It shines in the darkness, and this is the good news. The darkness can never, ever, ever extinguish it. That's the present tense. Even though all of this loss that John has experienced, all of his friends are dead. These followers of Jesus have been tortured and murdered in mass numbers. John is now at this moment living in exile on an island. And he says, the light is still shining even in the midst of everything we've experienced, even in the midst of the hurt and the darkness and the pain, this darkness, He says, will never, ever overcome, extinguish this light. Jesus, my friends, was the one. The light. Jesus was the one who was going to, and He did. He lit it up. That's Jesus. And what is your relationship to this light of the world? That's my question. Will you worship? Or, like Herod, will you try to control the outcome and try to control everything around you All the things that one day you're going to have to give up anyway. One day, somebody is going to stand up in some kind of church or chapel or a funeral home and they are going to be forced to tell your story. They're going to be forced to talk about you and your story after you are gone. And they are going to tell your story in light of His story. will they be able to talk about the truth? Will they be able to talk about the truth of how you submitted your life to Jesus, how you came back to Jesus? If you had walked away and you got on your knees and you said, I submit my life to Him, will they be able to talk about that? Or will they be forced just to dig something, some small thing out of your past, out of your history, the slightest thing that they can find to bring just a little bit of hope to your family? The Word tells us that darkness will never overcome this light of Jesus. And I believe that in your life, no matter how far you might have run, there is still a little light in your life or you would not be in this room today. There is still a light pulsating in your soul even if it is ever so small. And I say this, my friends, it is not too late on this Christmas Eve eve. It is not too late. Will you take a step today in your heart? I'm not going to ask you to leave your seats. Right where you are sitting, will you take a step today and will you return to Jesus? And I ask you, will you please tell us about that on the back of your connection card before you place it in that bucket? If you're listening on Facebook Live, there's a connection card for you too. Follow that link. You see, the wise men, they got it right. They got it right. When they finally got into the presence of Jesus, they worshipped. And I'm asking you this morning, will you take a step of worship? Will you commit to begin to pray, or will you commit to begin to read every day in the Word? Will you commit, maybe in January, to be part of a small group? Will you commit to serve with us? Will you commit to bring your family back into church? Will you take a step, whatever God places on your heart? The light is not going out, and I ask you this, what are you going to do with it? I'm getting ready to pray for us. Here's how we're going to make our commitments this morning. Will you let us know on the back of your connection card? But I'm going to ask you, will you stand and sing this song with us? The lyrics will be on the... And it's talking about, I am here to worship. In fact, some of the lyrics, I'm going to pray right now. Will you join me as we pray? God, a poet wrote... That you are the light of the world and you step down into this darkness. God, we're asking you to open our eyes and to let us see. Your beauty, you made this heart of ours adore you. I hope that we have a life that we can spend with you. Here we are, God, to worship. And we're going to bow down in our hearts. And we are here to say this, that you are our God. You are altogether lovely. You are altogether worthy. You are wonderful to me. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray these things. Amen.
1: cool
2: gone To his knees. I've been broken more than a time or two. Then he picked me up and he showed me what it means to be a man.
0: Hope you've been blessed this morning because all of our sins have been forgiven. Yesterday, it's gone. We have right now, and I hope your hearts have been crying out to Jesus saying, I choose you. On the end of your rows, that's where the buckets are. If you would pass those, that's where we ask you to put your giving envelopes, your connection cards, your pens. They all go in there. We are so Glad that you've been here with us on this Christmas Eve Eve. It's going to be a busy week. I hope your hearts are ready and submitted to Jesus. You're among family. Next week we end this series, and then the first week of January we begin a brand new series. I hope that you will end the year with us. Next week, next Sunday, and I hope you will begin the year with us on the following Sunday as we go through four weeks, an amazing series in January. It's going to be good. You'll want to have that person you've been thinking about sitting beside you. And then as we gear up to February, we'll be meeting at two times, 9.30 and 11 o'clock. That series in February, the series in January has the potential to change the way you feel about church. The series in February has the potential to change your family. I hope you'll be here. Let me pray for us. I'll be in the lobby. Yes, I'm sorry. Okay, yes, sir. This was forced on me. I didn't want to. They're making you. This time in the church has got an offering for Harley and Cole here, and
1: we just want to tell them that we love them. And, there might be some money in there. I don't know.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much. We love you guys. I'm gonna I, whichever one you give me, I, I we're grateful. We love you. You are a family. <laughs> you are a family. And uh the every single mile that I drive to be with you. I would do it ten times over. I love you guys. Let's pray. Address our Heavenly Father together. God, we are so very grateful that we can call you not just our Savior, but God, when you died for us, you made us friends with God. And God, I'm so grateful that in this season that can be so conflicted, filled with so many emotions, so much hurt, sometimes emptiness, that, God, we can press into you, our Savior, And we can not just know about you, but Jesus, we can worship you. And I pray that as we approach this week, that our hearts would be firmly surrendered. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah, that we pray these things.
2: With hearts filled
0: with love.